I invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the scripture passage we'll consider this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. So again, Ephesians chapter 6, 21 to 24, and here we are, loved ones, at the end of this letter to the Ephesians, and we've made our way here from the beginning to the end, and Paul, along the way, he's taken us from the heights of God's lavish grace for us in Christ all the way to the depths of Christ's love that surpasses all understanding. He has shown us who we once were apart from God in this world, the walking dead, and who we now are in Christ, walking miracles of his grace. Paul explained to us how Christ has brought about this new humanity through his own death and resurrection And that by his ascension into glory, that now Christ is giving gifts by the Holy Spirit to his church in order to build up his church in faith, hope, and love until we reach that full maturity, that full stature of Christ. And then also afterwards, we looked at how Paul kind of unpacked how those truths should change the way we live in life as a community of believers, as individual believers, and also as households as well. And lastly, we considered for some time how he revealed to us that in our Christian life we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, and therefore we are to put on the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil in the evil day. And so here we are, the close of Paul's letter, the closing remarks And even though they are brief remarks, this is the very word of God for us. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word here from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 to 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here we find ourselves again with the Apostle Paul at the close of his letter. The Apostle Paul who was writing from the prison cell in Rome in chains there, and he's sending out his trusted friend Tychicus to take the word of God to the Christians in Ephesus. Now why? Why? So that their hearts might be strengthened, firstly by the word of God that he's carrying, right, in this letter, in his hand, But then also, secondly, as Paul mentions, to tell them about Paul and his ministry, how how he was faring in prison. And what was the end result that Paul longed for? What was the fruit, the life in the church that he hoped would result from reading and receiving this letter? Well, greater faith that would produce greater love, greater love in them. And those will be our three main points. First, the purpose of sending Tychicus, then the power to encourage in the word, and then also the priority of love. So we'll start with the purpose in sending Tychicus. 
Why did Paul send this man Tychicus carrying such an important message from God to the church in Ephesus? Well, first of all, the obvious, right? There was no email correspondence in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, and so that option was not on the, on the table, right? He couldn't just shoot off an email with the letter to the Ephesians, no. And even if he could have, I very much doubt that the Apostle Paul would have sent a letter as an email to the Ephesians. Why? Because his message is too weighty, it's too significant, it's too much filled with glory and truth for the internet itself to carry with dignity. God's word is not meant to be carried by the internet or digital means, but living and breathing people who are made in the image of God. Only humans, dignified by God's own image, are truly appropriate carriers of God's own word. So that's the first obvious point. The second obvious one is that there was no united Roman government postal service for him to simply put his letter in the mail with a stamp and send it along the way. Even as a Roman citizen himself, Paul couldn't go to a post office. It didn't exist. The postal service that did exist in the first century in Rome was reserved for government officials and also for military purposes. And so, we find that he did not send correspondence in that way. And he wouldn't have. Why? Because he wouldn't have entrusted this important message to a pagan Roman unbeliever. No. Now, if you wanted to send a message to, or a letter to a family or friend or group of people in the first century, you would have either had to hire a professional kind of letter carrier, or more typically, you would have to entrust that letter to a friend of yours who would personally deliver it on your behalf. So clearly then, Paul, who sent Tychicus, esteemed him to be a reliable and trustworthy messenger. The Apostle Paul calls him a dear brother. Uh, it can also be translated a beloved brother, one whom he loved in Christ. So Paul had this love and affection for Tychicus. He held him close to his heart. Why? Well, first of all, because they were brothers in Christ. And when faith is strong in the same Savior, in the same Lord, that alone is enough to bond two people together in love. But not only that, not only their common faith, but we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, that Tychicus along with others, had been traveling with Paul throughout his missionary journeys. And so he was along his side through ups and downs and trials and difficult circumstances. And then we find out that on at least three other different occasions, Paul sent Tychicus with letters to churches. He sent him to Titus, he sent him to Timothy, to the Colossians, and here as well to the Ephesians. And by sending him out in this way, it put him in danger. It put Tychicus in danger, in, in the sense that he wasn't afraid to visit Paul, who was in Rome, a prisoner, awaiting his execution. Paul was in chains for the gospel, and Tychicus here is at risk as well, as he enters into the prison, receives a letter, and is sent out, and then comes back time and time again. He's at risk as well of being affiliated associated with Paul. And so he was at danger of being beaten or imprisoned himself for this loyalty that he had to a notorious man in the Roman Empire. 
the Apostle Paul. And not only that, these were long journeys that Paul was sending Tychicus on. There were no planes, trains, or automobiles that he could just jump on and quickly get to his destination. You know, today we say that a true friend, right, is someone who will take you to the airport, will drive you to the airport, especially LAX. Um, you know, that's when you really find out who your true friends are. Um, I think maybe we could say that in the Apostle Paul's day, that they would have said that a true friend is one that will travel by foot a long distance to deliver a letter for you. And so here we find a true friend, the Apostle Paul. And the little that we know about Brother Tychicus, from that little information, we can understand why he was a dear, beloved brother of Paul, this loyal companion of his loyal companion who was not afraid to risk his own life in order to assist the Apostle Paul in his ministry of the gospel. And so let's pause there and ask this question. Does that describe you? Does that describe you, Christian, today in your life, the way that we looked at Tychicus? Does that describe you? And I don't mean to discourage us here by asking that question. I want to inspire us by way of this example. This is something that we should aspire to, right? And that the more that we believe in the importance of the gospel message, the more we truly believe in King Jesus and what he has done through his life, death, and resurrection, then the more we will be willing to suffer personal inconveniences in our own life in order to serve him in the advancement of his kingdom in this world, like Tychicus who was a dear brother of Paul. But not only that, the Apostle Paul also calls him here a faithful servant, a faithful servant of Lord Jesus. He was faithful. That means he was trustworthy. He was reliable. These are the very qualities that you would want to find in a messenger, in a letter carrier. Paul entrusted this letter to him, trusting that he would deliver it in full, intact, and unchanged. He trusted him because he knew him to be faithful. He knew that he had a servant's heart, a servant's heart. He was not the kind of guy that would push his weight around and try to get his own way or try at the end of the, in, end of the day to get his own glory. As a servant, he aimed at honoring God and serving King Jesus. And this is a lesson for us on true greatness. What is true greatness? What does our culture say? Our culture today is all about self-promotion, isn't it? Self-promotion. Because of the internet and social media in particular, I don't think human beings have ever lived in a time like ours when promotion of self, lifting ourselves up, right, was so prominent, so prevalent, so promoted by all people. With our personal accounts on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube or whatever it might be and whatever comes out tomorrow or the next day after that, we are constantly tempted to exalt ourselves in this way, to promote ourselves. And I'm convinced that the more and more our hearts are being formed by the mold of exalting ourselves in this way, by the mold of social media, to present ourselves as great, glorious, and good for our friends to see us and what we're presenting and click like or click love. All about self-promotion. 
And you might be thinking, I don't even know about such things. I don't know. I don't have those kinds of accounts. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe that's you. But let me tell you that this is a challenge for younger generations that we are up against continually, and they will be continually up against these things, and it's not going away. The social media is getting more manipulative and more pervasive day by day. And the digital machine of social media is producing lonely narcissists longing for greatness. That's what it's producing. You want to feel important? You want to be great? Well, listen to our Lord King Jesus, who teaches us in Matthew 23 what true greatness is in the kingdom of God. He says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Look, don't fall into the temptation of exalting yourself. If you do, what's going to happen in the long run? If you do, the world will eventually forget you, and you'll fall into nothingness. It will forget you and your accounts and what you've posted. Instead, like Tychicus, in humility, serve others, not for the eye service of others, not for man's approval, but knowing that your Father in heaven sees what you're doing. And when you do, we have this promise from Jesus that those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. If you are a servant, you will be among the greatest in the kingdom of God. That is true greatness. Now we've seen that Paul trusted Tychicus to bring them the true gospel. He trusted him. Reliable servant. Trustworthy. A beloved friend. He trusted he wouldn't open up the written word along the way. Right? Break the seal. And twist the word of God to his own liking. He trusted that Tychicus was a brother and a servant, not one who would arrive in Ephesus with his chest puffed out, wanting to push his way around, right? No. Apostle Paul knew that Tychicus would not assert his power and authority over the Ephesians because he knew he had a servant's heart. He had seen him sacrifice his own life for the sake of Christ and his church, so he trusted Tychicus with this letter. And again, this serves as an example for us, to inspire us to greatness, greatness not of the world, but of the kingdom of God, the greatness of servanthood. And Paul sent Tychicus in person, his trusted beloved brother, why he says for us, clearly lays it out for us, so that he might tell you everything. And then he gets specific by saying these two reasons, so that he might tell you how we are and what we are doing, and so that he might encourage you that he might encourage you. And that leads us to our second point, the power to encourage. First, we see in this the personal warmth of the Apostle Paul himself, this great theologian. He doesn't only care about them getting their doctrine right. He cares about the state of their heart. In particular, he doesn't want them to be discouraged by his own chains and imprisonment. He doesn't want them to feel sad or anxious about his own suffering. He wants them to be strengthened with the good news of the gospel and the good news about what God was still doing through his imprisonment for the gospel ministry. Now, the Greek verb that Paul uses here for that he may encourage you is parakaleo in the Greek, and it has a variety of uses in the New Testament, but it literally means to get up close and personal with somebody else to speak to them, directly to them 
personally to them, up close, right? In other words, to come alongside someone in order to help them, either by correcting them or by comforting them. And in this context here, clearly Paul wants Tychicus to comfort them, to encourage them. And in English, it's interesting that the root word for encourage is courage. That's not all that interesting. That's easy enough to see. But did you know this, that the Old English word for courage was pronounced courage, right? Which comes from the Latin word for heart, cor, cor, which is where we get the Spanish word corazón in Spanish for heart. So to encourage someone is to mend and strengthen their heart, to hearten them, to build them up. With that, with this command, with this desire that he lays out that Tychicus would encourage them in this way, well, it assumes that Paul Paul thought that Tychicus had this ability to do that, that he would do that for the Ephesians, that he had at his disposal the power to bring them encouragement, to strengthen their hearts. And how so? How would he do that? By bringing them the Word of God, the Word of God, and the report about the Apostle Paul. And this works the same for us as well. Paul mentioned how this works back in Ephesians 4, 29. We considered that not too long ago, where he said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, from that, we learn that our words, when they are truthful, when they are seasoned with grace, when they are spoken in love, that God uses those words to give grace to the recipient, to the person who is listening, to give them grace. In this way, we can build one another up in love. As we speak the word of God to others, rightly applied, we can mend people's hearts. The Holy Spirit will use us and our words to mend people's hearts and strengthen their hearts in Christ. Not only that, Paul also sends them, by way of Tychicus, these words of blessing that he ends this letter with, these blessing that he lays out, this benediction It's like the Apostle Paul is saying here, by the way, I'm asking that God will send you all peace, love, and faith, and grace. And the Spirit will deliver it to you personally. In fact, after you've finished reading this letter, I'm sure that he already has already given those gifts to you. This shows us, loved ones, that even when we are physically apart from one another, at a great distance, like the Apostle Paul in prison, from the distance that he was away from the Ephesians, that even then, We can still send each other spiritual blessings. How? By way of prayer. By way of prayer. When you pray for a brother or sister in Christ, it's like you're checking in with God and transferring to their account a gift of peace, love, faith, or grace. And so in that sense, right, let us pray each other rich in Christ, rich in peace, hope, and love. God tells us throughout the scriptures that the storehouses of his love are limitless. We can withdraw as much as we want by prayer. God's peace is boundless. So ask him to dispense more and more to your brother and sister in Christ who is in pain or suffering. Make spiritual transfers of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ by way of prayer. And think about this. Isn't it true that sometimes we learn about another person or another family's troubles and trials in life, 
right? We, we hear about the report or we hear directly from them how messy their life is and we think to ourselves, oh, I wish I could just give them wisdom so they could get through this. I wish I could just give them peace to calm their raging heart or I wish I could give them love to heal their broken marriage. I wish I could do that for them. Ah, but you can. How? Through prayer. Through prayer. Ask in prayer, and God will give it to them. If you really want to help others who are struggling, pray for them. Start by praying for them. Send them an anonymous gift basket of peace and love by the Spirit, and He will ensure that it will arrive precisely on time, precisely when they need it. You know, soon, very soon, this upcoming week, we'll be starting uh, the whole craziness of shopping, purchasing all kinds of gifts for family and friends, and then soon afterwards, we'll all sit anxiously with those gifts now wrapped with bows on them, etc., and we'll sit there watching our loved ones, family, and friends opening them and anxiously wondering if they're going to like it, if they're going to want it or not, and trying to see how they will react and we all confess, right? We can all confess that each year we send or we, we save that gift receipt that we receive on a gift or two and we return it, right? Especially, you know, that, that oversized and outdated uh, shirt or pants that Aunt Tessie bought you, right? You save that receipt so you can take it back. Well, let me tell you this. Nobody, nobody ever regretted receiving a gift of grace, a gift of peace, a gift, a gift of love, in a season of trouble or grief. Nobody. Nobody saves a gift receipt on grace once that's been opened up and received. They won't exchange it for anything else. Those who receive God's grace, they embrace it. They embrace it with thankfulness. And you can't buy a better gift than the spiritual blessings that Christ can give to your brother and sister in Christ. And so give it to them. Pray it for them especially in their time of need. So we've seen that by the word of God and by prayer, we have at our disposal the power to encourage one another. And so let us continue to speak that truth in love and pray for one another in this way, in trusting that the Holy Spirit will deliver exactly what our brother and sister needs in Christ to strengthen their hearts. But is the goal at the end of the day simply to have hearts strengthened, have hearts cheerful, happy? Is that the end goal? No. The end goal is that our hearts would be strengthened in love, to be more loving. And that is our third point, the priority of love. Notice here how Paul links faith and love here at the close. In verse 23, he says, peace be to our brothers and love with faith. Look at that order. Look at the order of the words there, love with faith. He doesn't say faith with love, as if love is a thing to be added on to faith. No. Rather, he says, love with faith. Why? Why? Because love is the main objective. And so Paul puts it first. Christian love is not optional to faith. It is the natural and necessary fruit of true faith. It is the top priority of faith. The first task that true faith wants to accomplish is to produce love, to love others, to love God. And one day, faith will be turned into sight, and faith will be no more. But love, we read, will endure forever. And so love is greater, more ultimate, consummate, 
And that's why Paul puts it first. Love with faith. And we learn from the letter to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation that some of you are studying in the adult Sunday school, right, that the, the Ephesian church, or the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians there, were proud of their faith. They're proud of their faith where their love was lacking. So with their lips, they sang orthodoxy, but their hearts were far from God because they did not truly love one another as they formerly once did. They lost their love for God, and so they lost their love for one another, and it dwindled like a twig that's been broken off from the vine. And we read this in Revelation chapter 2. I know your works, O Ephesians, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, how you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So they were true on doctrine. They knew how to spot out false teaching. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They lacked love. This is what Paul has been getting at throughout this letter. Soak in God's love for you. Deepen your understanding of the gospel and so you will grow in love for one another. The greater the experiential appropriation of God's love for you in your heart will result in an increase of love for God and love for neighbor. The more you get God's love for you, the more you will give love to God and to others. As John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. The more we understand that, then the more we will love one another. And if, you are, if what you are learning in the Christian life is not transforming you, not resulting in greater love for God and greater love for others, then there are either two options. Either one, you are studying the wrong thing. You are studying some falsehood, and you need to abandon that false teaching. Or you might be studying the truth with your mind without taking it to your heart. That's a second option. And that happens. And in fact, it happens quite a lot in churches even like ours that focus so much on truth and doctrine. And isn't this the pitfall of pride that Paul has been counteracting throughout this letter? Counterattacking? He has been taking the gospel truths and pressing them upon our hearts with the goal of seeing faith increase in love. Greater love as a result, as the fruit. In the beginning of his letter, as he greeted the Ephesians, saying hello to them, recognizing their upstanding faith, he said to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's recognizing their upstanding faith. You're strong in your faith. But notice how he greets them goodbye at the end of this letter. Now, expecting them to love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Literally an uncorruptible love. He has been washing their faith throughout this letter. Washing their faith with the gospel of God's love. So that now their love would be purified, cleansed, and incorruptible. They were known for their doctrinal precision, their strong faith, but they were weak in love. Kind of like a guy who at the gym works out his upper body, but his lower legs and are completely weak, right? You know those guys. They were unbalanced. They were strong in faith, weak in love. Well, may that not be the case for us, loved ones. May that not be the case for you. God forbid that that be the case 
with me. May the Lord continue to increase our love for one another and love for God. So we've seen the priority of love. And we've seen here in this last portion of the letter that from his prison cell, the Apostle Paul sent out his beloved, trusted friend Tychicus to take the word of God to the Christians in Ephesus. We saw how Tychicus is a glimpse of true greatness in God's kingdom, the greatness of servanthood. We saw why Paul sent him. Why? To strengthen their hearts by the word of God that he carried in hand, and that we can do the same for one another by speaking the truth in love and sending spiritual blessings to one another in prayer. In a sense, sending them by the divine postal service of the Holy Spirit. And at the end, we've seen the goal of it all. That greater love would be added to faith. That greater love would result. And this is, after all, a picture of the gospel itself for us. For there, from the place of glory, the Father sent his beloved and trusted Son for us, to us. The Son who is the very Word of God and the greatest servant of all. Why did the Father send him to us? In love he sent him to save us, to mend and fix our broken hearts and to give us grace and truth. As John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What we can now give to one another by our words and by our prayers is really only the byproduct of what God has already given to us by sending us his own Son, full of grace and truth. It's one thing to receive this letter. It's another thing to receive in your own heart the love of God for you in the person and work of Christ, in him who is full of grace and truth. And so I call you, if you have not yet, receive him. Receive him by faith alone. Receive him. And when you do, not only that, not only has the Father sent us his Son in love, but then thereafter, after the life, death, and resurrection, and ascension of Christ into glory, the Father and the Son have now sent the Spirit of God to strengthen us. And as the Father sent the Son, and like the Son sent the Apostle Paul, and like Paul sent Tychicus, now the Spirit in you is sending you out to your brothers and sisters in Christ and to your neighbors to do what? To strengthen their hearts with the word of the gospel. Why? So that together we might have more love with faith. May that be the case. Amen. Let's pray. Father, God, here at the close of this letter from the uh, Apostle Paul, such brief words, we find such great encouragement and strength for our weak and failing hearts. Lord, we confess that at times we are filled with more truth than we are love, and we know that that is an imbalance in our lives. And so we ask that even now, through your word and through the Lord's Supper that we are about to partake, that you would strengthen our hearts and increase our love for you and for one another. 
This we ask for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, loved ones,